What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm, joined today by Chris Grenham. And I was just telling Grenham before we started recording that I was watching VHS, the new VHS movie, uh, VHS 94, which if you guys are familiar with that particular franchise. So it was it was fun to watch something that was uh, uh, a little bit more lighthearted than the Celtics season, I feel like. <laughs> Let's go, let's go with the victory lap to start off our podcast on a lighthearted note. Turns out BJ Boston, pretty good draft pick. And it turns out that maybe taking a flyer on him in the second round was actually a good idea. Who would have thought, right, Tom? I mean, who would have thought? I mean, if you're going to take a fl- – like, here, here's my thing. The Celtics took a flyer on Juwan Begarin. And, like, sure, fine. But there was a much easier flyer to take. Yeah. I know, like, Beggarin is, like, you know, like, was going to be overseas and all of that. Like, you know, it was going to be kind of a draft and stash situation. And the Celtics were just ready to punt on this year's draft entirely. But, like, if you're talking about taking a flyer, I mean, what do you what do you think his ceiling is, Grenham? Like, it's it's He's it's a, high. His ceiling is very high. His ceiling is, like, a very solid rotation piece. So I, I At one point, I thought it was an all-star. I don't think it's there yet. But I mean, <laughs> but we're talking. We're not talking about where. Like we're talking about ceiling, right? Like it could. Like I we've don't know, always, man. We've always known that there was something there with BJ yeah. Boston, and that something there. You're right. Is like an all star level. He was a lottery projected guy not too long ago, and he was yeah. stuck in a disastrous season at Kentucky and just like crappy fit. And I just think that. <laughs> I mean, we said it so much during pre-draft that it made so much sense to take a shot at him and yeah. on him. And I mean, I mean, we were talking about taking a shot on him first round. Yeah. I would have taken a shot on him in the late. And this is my thing. So I was on, uh, I was with, I was on locked on yesterday with Corrales and mm-hmm. we were talking about second round picks and the value of them. And I, I really think that one of the major values of a second round pick is that it, it can be a shot. Like you can yeah. take a shot on somebody. If you're taking somebody with the 16th pick, you know, with the 20th pick, whatever, that guy's going to be locked in like into your system for four years. Of course, you kind of want to make sure that they're going to be a rotation piece. You don't want to be paying somebody who's just not going to be anywhere near your rotation. But right. when you're taking second round picks, that's when you can take a shot and hope that you get a Jokic and hope that you get a Draymond Green and hope that you get a Brandon Boston Jr. So like the draft is a crapshoot, but there really are certain like identifiers that you can, you can kind of be like, Hey, I think that guy is going to be good. Like, everybody thought Desmond Bain was going to be good. Like everybody kind of knew it. Everybody, you know, like you and I certainly thought that Brandon Boston was, had like a real chance to be good. And sure. There were like, um, Jay King texted me after I tweeted that there was like a giant neon sign blinking that said he could be a steal. And Jay was like, yes, but also there was a giant uh, sign blinking. He could be a bust, which is true, which is why in the second round, who cares? Just exactly. take him anyway. That's the you. That's the proper way in my mind to use a second round pick, especially in a draft like last year when it's not like it's a wildly deep class. It's right. not like you're wasting this shot on someone where you have a really, really, really high floor guy right next to him. Like that didn't really exist in this class. So take a shot on the guy who, yeah, has a very low floor, but also has a very high ceiling because what else are you going to really use that second round pick for? In my mind, that's kind of what, their or how they're best utilized realistically like it's very rare especially in a class like last year where you find a guy who's just that solid role player that deep at least into a second round what was he what was he taking like 50th 51 yeah like come on the guys around him were uh philip petrusive and luke garza or luca garza like 
know, the Celtics already have a draft and stash guard. They have Yam Madar just sitting over there. Like, oh man, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Like, okay, so like you talk about Beggar, and it's like, okay, well, you know, he's got all this potential versatility, dude. Like, okay, but Brandon Boston can handle the ball at six foot seven and shoot from three. Like, that's pretty versatile. He has trended like upward in the last couple of years too. Like he's made developments to his yeah. game over the last couple of years too. It's not like he's right. it and he's when we first out. saw him, like the thing that impressed us was his shooting. And then okay. eventually, but he became more of a slasher. Mm-hmm. Like the, the thing that he became was like a, a get to the rim guy in, especially in his senior season in high school. And yes, there, there was kind of this, you know, okay. He had like bad interviews coming out of the draft. He had all this, all this, you know, all this negativity around him coming out of the draft. And obviously I mean, the, the Terrence Clark thing was just yeah. heartbreaking. Like, I mean, especially for him, right? Like he was, he was a good friend. He was there on the scene. Like you can't imagine what kind of trauma he's been through right. due to that. But I mean, just the idea that this guy couldn't play basketball was always, it was completely ridiculous. Yeah. No, they, they especially with the context that we constantly talked about at Kentucky. Like yeah. one, you've seen that happen with Kentucky guys in the past where they play these guard heavy lineups and guys kind of get caught in a crappy system and it doesn't really show how an NBA team could really benefit from their skill set. It doesn't really showcase them as well as they right. could have. And that particular Kentucky team was a disaster. Like yes. it was so bad. So there was just a lot of context behind the BJ Boston stuff that it still made a lot of sense, I think, to take a swing. on. And, and, my, and my, my, I swear this is my last thing before Brandon Boston victory lap uh, <laughs> wraps up here. Like, okay, so at 18 – Right. He is a, st- I assume I'm just kind of get, like guessing his age here at 18. He's a stud at Sierra Canyon. He's a potential like number two, number three, number four, number five pick. He is that guy. He can shoot. He can dribble. He can get to the rim. He can dunk. He can finish. He can do all this stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's at 18 at 19. All of a sudden he's struggling to do that stuff. When he's 23, who do you think he's going to be? He's going to be older. He's going to be better. He's going to be like the, the better version of that kid. He was at 18. Like, why do we, you know, I know this is like danger carts, big thing. Um, like, why do we just kind of assume that that one weird year in college that half of these guys spend is who they are going to be for the rest of their careers when they're 19? Yeah. You really think that's who Brandon Boston is going to be when he's 26, 27? Come on. Yeah. Like, what are and, we doing here? So that's bad, just. And again, the bad year happened in a place where that's happened for other guys. Right, like, right. We saw so many bright spots at Norcross and at Sierra Canyon. Like, yeah. there was no way that that was just going to completely disappear. Sure. Maybe his ceiling was a little bit lower than we might've thought it was, but again, like there's no reason to solely stick with that down year. I can and you can't that. know that his ceiling is lower based off one bad year in college. You don't know that right, it right. could just be a bad year in and college. In mind, that's just a horrendous approach. If that's what you're thinking. Yeah. The Celtics drafting frustrates me sometimes. Oh yeah. Because you and I, I mean, like, I feel like most of their hits you and I might have like hit on, like we would have hit on Grant Williams. You would have hit on Peyton Pritchard. I definitely would not have. Um, but but like, like we cover our bases, we'd be a good pair. We cover our bases. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's, I mean, because the draft is a crapshoot, it's not that hard. <laughs> like it's true. It's, it's really true. I don't know. Yeah. It's not. I mean, like God bless Jawan Beggar. He just would not have been my pick at 45. I mean, we talked about him. Like we took a minor victory lap because everybody was like, who is this kid? And, and like, you know, we, we talked about him right we before the draft. It. Yeah. yeah right, so, right. Right. Uh, but, but BJ Boston just absolutely would have been our pick at 45. And uh, 
looking pretty prescient there. All uh, right. Didn't he put he put up like 46 in the <laughs> league the other day, too? Like monster. Like, yeah. yeah. He's gonna be so good, man. I, and honestly, like Celtics aside, I'm really happy for him because like that Terrence Clark. I mean, he's been through a lot. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it was really, I thought it was really kind of touching that he like, you know, after that Celtics game, you know, his first, his first comments are just, I wanted to do this for Terrence. Obviously yeah. Terrence was my best friend, like really glad for BJ boss. So we're, I mean, we're going to talk about a few Celtics related matters here. Really the, pulled us off the Celtics topic with that one. I knew well, I would. It's more fun to talk about than this team because yes. like, yes, it is. So we're recording this Friday morning. Uh, I'm going to try to have this up by Friday afternoon before the Suns game. So we don't know what's going to happen in the Phoenix game. Maybe they have a rousing victory and they convince everyone once again that this team is uh, a contender. I don't know, man. I, it's, it's funny because we're coming off two losses to the Lakers and the Clippers. They beat the Blazers. They lost to Utah. So they're, they're one and three on this current road trip. And I think before this trip, one of the things that I said was, Look, the depth around this team is so much better. All they need is Tatum to kind of get going. If he does that, maybe they start winning some games. And at the time, it felt like a very reasonable take. It's not how it's working out. Even when Tatum goes off, they still look like that same kind of struggling team that they did last year. I don't know. I mean, before we get into a couple of our of our theories here, I mean, what what's kind of your takeaway from the last few games? Well, I think your theory is and always has been good at the surface. It's just not how it has played out really at any turn this season. And with all of my takeaways from this road trip so far, I need to keep reminding myself like Jalen Brown isn't playing and that does make a difference, right? Jalen Brown is. An yeah, yeah, yeah. It brings down Jason Tatum's point per game average. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure we will get into that, but like this team has serious issues that we knew they had before this road trip and not having Jalen just amplifies a lot of these things. I mean, the Celtics, they need to rely on their defense they cannot win games where both teams are scoring a lot of points. They're not going to win games. And I know we're still early in the season, and I know that Jalen Brown has missed half of these games. But I'm sorry, 26 games with or without Jalen Brown is a big enough sample size for me to have like concrete takeaways with this team. Because yep. I've long said that I think this team is roughly a 500 group. You've been on above, it. Like whatever. And I really do think that they are, and they haven't shown me any reason to believe otherwise. And in the games where you get those role guys, like you're talking about Grant, Romeo, these guys who are playing well, where you get them playing above their potential expectation level, whatever we were thinking entering the season, you don't get the other pieces. You get Rob Williams sliding a little bit and having a, a couple bad stretches. You get just weird Dennis Schroeder minutes that I think limit Jason Tatum. Like, Yes. There are just very weird dynamics here with this team where the inconsistencies are all over the place. And I think that's the biggest part. And Ime Odoka talked about it. It doesn't seem like he knows where the inconsistencies are coming from. And that's not a great sign. It's just all over the place. So I just, I don't really know exactly how to pin my ultimate takeaway with this team because they're so all over the place every single game. I don't think Brad Stevens knew how to pinpoint this. I think one of the things that's really kind of damning for the, for this team based on the last couple of weeks is, okay. So the Celtics, if you look at um, their eighth in defense on cleaning the glass with their, you know, uh, giving up 107.4 points per 100 possessions, that's pretty good. Offense is real mid because they're scoring 109.5, right? Yeah. So, you know, like a point differential of plus 2.1 could be worse. But even if you look at the last couple of weeks, when I think we would all agree minus these last two games that they've been playing like a little bit better, especially on the offensive end. They're 13th in offense 
scoring 112.3 points per 100 possessions and 15th in defense, scoring 112.2. So they are cracking almost perfectly even. So to your point about a 500 team, that's roughly what a 500 team does. This team always struggles. They always underperform their net rating in part because they give up, they give up these huge leads to the other team. They come storming back. So they, when they get blown out, because those are blowouts, I'm sorry. Even if you come storming back, like, I'm sorry, that Clippers game is a blowout. You were down by 21 and you couldn't like overcome that. I don't, I don't see that as like a net positive that you just kind of came back. Like you did it. 100%. Like this, this team is far beyond the point of like a moral victory. Right? Yes. Like you're That's not right. going to say, well, it's a good thing that they battle back. We know they have it in them. It's like bullshit. Like, no, yeah, they, no, they it's bury not. themselves they... in 20 point deficits in the first half, almost every game. Like that's right. not yeah, positive. It, yeah. Right. <laughs> like it's not, a, it's not a good thing that you have the uh, moral tenacity to like <laughs> rally back to lose by three instead of losing by 21, like a loss. Yeah. You're still 13 and 13. Like it's, it's yeah, still BJ, BJ Boston is at half court playing air guitar on you. Like it's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> just, just shredding. Oh, I love BJ Boston, man. You just want to make this a BJ Boston yeah, pod? I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you look at the, this team is always going to, I mean, you know, the, like the last like four years, five years, they have underperformed their net rating to like the tune of like the one of the worst teams in the league. Ever since yeah. the Kyrie year, they've been in the high 20s in terms of underperforming their net rating. So like, I, I, I think that like there is a tendency when a team struggles to kind of label them in all these like really simplistic terms, right? Like this team is lazy or this team doesn't, you know, like they, they only care about themselves. And I don't think any of those things are the case with this team. In 2018, the Celtics get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but Jason Tatum on that team was so different than Jason Tatum in 2022 or 2021-2022, right? Like he was mostly a spot-up shooter and he scored a lot of points. Like he averaged 20 a game during that playoff run. That was a, a completely different style of offense. Now he's like the go-to like ISO guy, like handle the ball all the time. And I don't know that I think the Celtics have figured out how to win that way, even when they put a lot of the same pieces around him, right? Like Jalen Brown, Al Horford's back, Marcus Smart is still here. It's just it's still just like a very different type of team than it was in 2018. And I don't know how the Celtics overcome that. Like, I don't know if there's a way to to fix that with the current personnel, I guess is, is my, my theory. Yeah. I think the latter part of that theory is the most important part. Like I think it starts with Jason Tatum, but I think it's an overarching indictment on the team itself. And again, like we're 26 games in here. So there's still a lot of time left in the season. We're not quite at Christmas yet. And a lot of people like to say, you know, season starts at Christmas, but I do think for well, the Celtics, it might literally start at Christmas because they'll probably be 500. <laughs> they'll, yeah, seriously. And the rest of this stretch for the rest of December is not fun. So they're going to be, well, that's true. I, that's true. They will be lucky to be at 500 yeah. the stretch they've got coming up. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. But I, I would agree. Like, I don't think the Celtics know how to win with their current formula. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that they just don't really have an identity right now. Like they don't know how, if they are down a stretch of a close game, they don't really have anything to really lean on. Yeah. And, teams lean on their identity they have identities they win certain ways and the Celtics don't really have one and I don't think like you said Tatum's been in a spot where he is like the identity creator in a sense and I think this is his first time where even when he's been like last year he was the best player on that team it felt to me like they had a little bit more of an identity than this group and granted this might be recency bias but it feels like this team's kind of scrambling a lot of the time and maybe that's because you have bigger names on the depth chart. You have guys like Dennis Schroeder, guys like Al Horford. So maybe that changes the dynamic a little bit, but I do kind of agree with you that Tatum style 
doesn't always equate to like winning these close games and trying to figure out what the Celtics need to lean on down the stretch of a close game. So I do agree that it's not really the greatest winning formula, but in a sense, I don't think Tatum is being put in the best position. Like I said, yes. like I said before with Dennis Schroeder out there, like Jason Tatum ends up just spotting up along the perimeter. That's not how Jason Tatum is going to be successful. He can be successful that way. He's a sure. fantastic versatile scorer, but when you have Dennis Schroeder out there just killing ants on the perimeter for far too long, and then he gives the Sometimes ball. Sometimes he's just letting the ball roll over the ants in the backcourt. <laughs> I mean, let, don't even get me started on that. But yeah, he, when when he's killing ants however he wants to, and then he gets the ball to Jason Tatum. <laughs> Poor ants. They're just and, yeah, Dennis Schroeder has something against them. But he, <laughs> like Jason Tatum is not being put in a great spot when Dennis Schroeder is out there running the offense. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd like to get Jason Tatum the ball off movement. You'd like to get him involved in some pick and rolls a little bit more. And yes, a lot of that is easier when you do have Jalen Brown on the court, but they haven't done that when Jalen Brown is on the court at all. So I, I think, I think I'm on board with your theory, but I also think that the team itself, whether it be coaching because the lineups or just the personnel they have, I don't think it's putting someone like Jason Tatum in a great position, even when he is having better output, like this trip, like, I just don't think he's being put in a great spot. Correct. Yeah. I, I should clarify that my take was not a Tatum is doing something wrong. Take it is that, Coaches haven't yet figured out how to use Tatum correctly. Take and like, because I don't, I don't think this is on Jason Tatum. I, I mean, either. he's he's yeah. like, if you watch him play, he tries to take over at the right moments. I think I, I'm not really seeing a lot of stuff that he's doing where I'm like, I just I, I think he should be doing better, except for maybe the three point shooting. But even that, he's had a few good games recently. <laughs> like, yeah. like I know there's there's been some some chatter about like trading Schroeder and trying to get something for him before you. Uh, you know, before you lose him in free agency. And I think there's, there's something to that. I mean, you know, like maybe it's, you know, if you look at that starting lineup without Jay, without Jalen, they're minus 12 right now with that double big starting lineup. And I don't think the double bigs are the problem because if you take Schroeder out and you put Jalen in all of a sudden they're plus 10 again. Is that really the number? Are they plus 10? Yeah. It's wow. I'll get the number up here. Um, I mean, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Cause you're right. The starting lineup before when Jalen is in the lineup, it's, it's, not bad. It's fine. No, the <laughs> plus 10 was a wild under uh, understatement. No, so with Schroeder, Smart, Tatum, Horford, Rob, they are minus 12.5 points per 100 possessions, which is in the 11th percentile. With Smart, Jalen, Tatum, Horford, and Rob, so the usual starting lineup, they are plus 19.6. I mean, come on. Demolishing teams, mostly on the defensive end. Like, their offense is, like, okay. Their defense is monstrous. They're giving up, like, 87.6 points per 100 possession with that group. If you swap out Jalen for Schroeder, all of a sudden they're giving up 107.7. So literally more than 20 points difference on the defensive end with Schroeder in there instead of Jalen. I mean, Corrales yesterday floated and I'll, I'll just parrot his idea of like putting Richardson in there. And I think that makes a lot of sense because yeah. Richardson is more of a poor man's Jalen than Schroeder. I mean, at least he's more versatile. At least he can score a little bit in the mid range. I mean, Schroeder can score. That's not really the issue. It's just that 20 point defensive swing is not going to win you any basketball games. That's, that's it right there. Cause like I said before, the Celtics have to rely on their defense. That's they have to ugly up these games. They have to win ugly. And I know it's not, appealing from a fan's perspective, but like if you're winning rock fights, that's the formula for the Celtics right now. And in, in my opinion, they're not going to win these games when teams are scoring 
even slightly north of 100 points, it seems like at this point. So I'm fully on board with inserting Josh Richardson. I like the take that he's kind of a poor man's Jalen Brown because he does do a lot of similar things like on the Yeah, just not as good at it. (laughs) Yeah, just not as good at it. But he, he does. And those are the things that this team needs in a starting lineup. I know Schroeder, I know he scores, but like, is it worth what he's giving up on the other end? And is it worth what he's realistically taking away from your star player? Like, I don't think so. I think and obviously not. Yeah. yeah like, like, I just, I don't know. Every time I'm watching Dennis Schroeder down the stretch of a game, I am audibly saying, this is too much Schroeder. This is too much Schroeder. <laughs> and it always turns out to be too much Schroeder. Yeah. We, we don't have a whole lot of, uh, I mean, he's done some good things for this team, right? There's been some, mm-hmm. sometimes, yeah, he'll take over and he'll score, you know, six points or he'll, you know, score 10 of the teams, like 19 points over a stretch or something like that. And those are valuable minutes. I mean, you've said before, like this team struggles offensively and Schroeder gives them some offense. So it's not like he's, you know, like a useless player who's not helping the team at all. Of course he is. And that's part of what makes this complicated because yeah, if you trade Schroeder, you're giving up some of that offense that you really need because your offense is not that good on this team. But I think in terms of like a net negative, net positive, at the very least, he's got to play in the starting lineup less. Like that's at the very least you can do that because, Hey, maybe then in the first, you know, in the first half, you only fall down by nine instead of by 24. And then you've got to battle back from nine instead of battling back from 24. Like something has to change there. And I think he makes a lot of sense coming off the bench and he saves a lot of these disastrous, well, he won't completely save them, but there are some disastrous bench lineups that Imodoka oh. has put out there and they are far better from an offensive perspective when Dennis Schroeder's out there. Might not be the most productive or efficient offense, but he's going to, I think, raise that floor a little bit. I mean, I just think he fits much more coming off that bench. The, the trade Schroeder thing is interesting because you're right, you give him up and you do give up necessary scoring. This team doesn't have a lot of scoring beyond Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So as much as Schroeder does bring down that starting lineup, you do need him in that nucleus like somehow. But if this team is a 500 team, and if they're destined for the plan or whatever come trade deadline, why wouldn't you move him to get something else? Because you're just going to lose him. So why wouldn't you move him to get a couple second rounders or something? Like I... Yeah, I do see the value in that, but I think it's important to keep in mind your point that like this team does need him, but like what, where's this team going? And is it necessary to just lose Dennis Schroeder come summertime? Right. I mean, so there's that. And I think too, like if, if this team by the trade deadline isn't doing much, maybe it's time to just kind of give the, give Schroeder's role to Peyton Pritchard and just see if he can do it. Cause yeah, Pritchard has not been good so far, but like how much, like he can't feel good when he goes into the game. Like he's not being trusted to do anything. Right. He's not being put in with a good combination of guys too. Last year he right. thrived a lot with the starters and stuff right. like that. So tough spot for him. Very tough. Yeah. If you can't get what Schroeder is giving you from, from like Richardson and, and, and Pritchard, I mean, I guess maybe hang on to him, but it seems to me that like, yeah, if, I mean, if this team hasn't made some real strides by the deadline, I, I think there's, I, I think either you're going to have to shake things up to try to win some games this year, or you're like punting on the rest of this season because you're going to make a lot of moves in the summer. This team just isn't good enough. And I mean, we have two years of evidence now that they're not good enough. This is at this point, this is who they are. And I don't care if the depth is changing. This is who they are. And that's until. Because it starts at the top. Right. Like it's, you know, like it's like, yeah, the depth is changing. Great. But like, 
they, they haven't figured out how to win with their good players. Like right. if you can't win with your good players, why are you expecting your, your, you know, role players to save you? Like, yeah, the depth and, doesn't and, matter then. And right now, like the way, at least say Jalen was playing in this and the defense was still underperforming. Like if you're not getting stops at one end, you're forced to play in the half court at the other end. And we've seen that Jalen and Jason don't play off of each other all that well in the half court. And so you're, you're stuck in this cycle where, yeah, you do need to live off of your defense because you need to get out and transition and pick up the pace a little bit. But like, I just, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's, <laughs> I think they're in a really shitty spot. It's tough, man. I mean, so here, yeah. here's the thing, right? Jalen is, when, when Jalen is in the game, the Celtics outscore opponents by 6.2 points mm-hmm. per hundred possessions so far this season. But the thing is like, if Jalen and Jason play together, they are outscoring opponents by about five points, which is pretty good. The thing is, like, you can't play those guys together for the for the, for the thing is number one. That's not like a like a championship number. That's like okay, right? Um, and, and the thing is, you're gonna have to split those guys up a lot. And those lineups where they're split up aren't getting the job done. No. So, I mean, at some point, yeah, you're just you're just kind of middling. And if if you can't figure out how to win with those guys, I mean, I think. I think you got to really start having some existential conversations. I'm curious to see, we haven't really seen what Brad would do in a situation like this. Cause right. He, he locked up those extensions and the expectation last off season was that Brad was kind of preparing for next summer to make some bigger moves next summer. He yep. does the extensions. It doesn't really trade much. Who really knows? Those are tradable pieces now. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't really think it tra- it changes a whole lot, but I'd be curious to see how he would approach like the remainder of the year, say come like February, this team is in a similar spot. I don't see the value in say keeping a guy like Dennis Schroeder around just to say, we got that six seed. That was so worth it. And now we could have two additional, even if it's two second rounders or something, I see the value. Yeah, man. Maybe you could actually take a stab at somebody for once. (laughs) Maybe you could, or maybe they'll take some like six eleven, like old school big, who's just going to be a draft and stash for three years. And we'll never see him. All right. Well, let's, let's get a couple. I know you had a couple of takeaways too. And then I I got one more thing at the end. Why don't you? uh, Yeah. So this is a very recent takeaway, just mainly from the road trip, but it's more of a question, I guess. Robert Williams is not playing very well. Mm -mm. And I run into this sometimes with him. I don't necessarily know why his decision-making is, has not been good. Like when he plays his best, he makes a lot of good reads and he's patient. And, and I think there's a huge benefit of that to his game, right? He's, we know he's a good passer, but his defense hasn't been great. He's made a couple like pretty bad decisions in the last few games. He got benched recently. Like, what do you see from Rob Williams? Because I'm watching him and I know he's not playing well, but I don't know what to pin it on, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, he, this one is kind of confounding because, I mean, he's always kind of a confusing player. Like, you don't, um, you know, he's, he's kind of an odd dude that way. But it feels like when the Celtics, it, it, it kind of just feels like the Celtics are trying to to fix all these problems, but something new keeps cropping up. So it just feels like, okay, huh, we fixed the defense. That one's all set. Okay. Okay. But now the offense is better. Okay. The offense is a little better. Defensive slipped, but okay. The offense is good. Wait, now Rob sucks. Like what's going on? Yeah. yeah. Like it just, it it keeps, you know, things keep breaking. It's brutal. And I don't really, 
it's like what yeah one thing starts going well something else starts going bad i i really don't know what exactly to pin it on and i feel like that's a microcosm of the entire like celtics team like within rob's game something starts going well something else starts going poorly same thing happens with the team like grant williams is playing great well suddenly the celtics defense is terrible like i it's just a microcosm of the fact that this team is completely scattered and all over the place but in these last couple games despite the fact that their defense has sucked that's been the main takeaway another one just kind of under the radar for me has been that rob williams thing because i it's just been weird and that's the only way i really know how to describe it but the the defense is my biggest takeaway from this trip like i don't know what happens where the defense falls off like this like yeah you play a good team in utah they have a historic shooting night there's only so much you can do there but like defense wasn't great they like that's just i don't know they put themselves in an early hole defense wasn't great but against portland I don't think there's many teams in the NBA that are in a worse spot right now than the trailblazers from an organizational organizational standpoint down to the personnel on the floor. Like they're disastrous. So I almost look at that game as kind of a wash. And then against the Lakers and the Clippers defense is terrible. So like, where's the disconnect? In two winnable games, incidentally, like that Lakers team, that Lakers team is not that good. And the Clippers like didn't have any of their good players except for superstar Brandon Boston. Bingo. So like if you're, and that just reaffirmed my take that this is a 500 group. If you're not a 500 team, if you're an above 500 team, you lose to the Lakers. Say that's inevitable. You lose to the Lakers, right? You say, okay, we get pulled early against the Lakers. We're going to go in against a Clippers team the next night without Paul George, and we're going to punch him in the mouth, and we're going to make up for what we didn't do the night before. That's what a good team does, right? right. This team just doesn't do that at all, and that falls right in line with, like, throw it up and let's see what happens. Like, I just, I never really know what I'm going to get. All right. So last thing here, before we, before we call it a pod, I I did, I do think it's worth looking at the Celtics upcoming schedule, which just is an absolute heavyweight uh, punch here coming up. So we got looking ahead, we got Phoenix, Milwaukee, Golden State, the Knicks, the Sixers, the Cavaliers, the, the Bucks, right? So, so Suns, Bucks, Warriors, Knicks, Sixers, Cleveland, Bucks, before the end of the year, which at the end of the year isn't that much easier. I mean, Minnesota's had some moments Minnesota's this year. Minnesota's been good. Yeah, the Clippers are – it's the Clippers again and then Phoenix again to wrap up the year. I mean, if you were just looking at games where the Celtics would probably be, like, favored to win right now, I mean, you're maybe looking at three wins the rest of the way. Maybe maybe like maybe fewer. Maybe another one if you want to give them uh, Philly. I mean, just a murderer's row coming up. The Celtics right now are 500. I mean, if they won two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games left, I don't think it's that crazy to be like maybe they're three, four, five games under five hundred at the end of this month. Like these are tough games, and they just have not really shown any reason to believe in them against the Suns and the Bucks. Like, why would we think that they're going to be above five hundred or even at five hundred come New Year's Day? I just. Yeah. I don't have any reason to believe that I'm looking at the schedule right now and it's absolutely brutal. And this doesn't, I don't gather from this group and it's really hard because we're not in the locker room like we normally are. And sometimes when you're in the locker room, just like for 15 minutes before a game or after a game, when you're waiting for guys to finish treatment or whatever, and come to the scrums, you can kind of get a vibe from a team. You can see where a team's at. You can listen to guys talk. You can just kind of gather and just get a read on the room it's hard to do that remotely. It's hard to do that when you're, you know, you're not in there, but I don't gather from the various scrums and 
other things that we've done over the last month, that this is a team that is really going to get up for this stretch to be like tough ass stretch. Let's like prove to the league that we actually are someone that you don't want to hit come late season. Like let's punch these teams in the mouth. Like, let's go. Like we got to prove something. I don't really get that from this group. I get from this group more of a, we know what makes us good and we know what we do wrong when we don't play. So like we can manage it. We're like professionals. We get it. And sometimes teams do that, but like, that's not a great approach at all. No. Like, but no. that's kind of what I gather from this team. Cause it's very clear. They're aware of what goes wrong when they play poorly and they talk about getting down in these early holes, but they keep doing it. And I don't really see them as that proactive group. That's going to like go out and take it. You know what I mean? I do. I agree with you completely. And I will say, as kind of my last thought here, uh, the other thing to keep in mind is let's say that, you know, let's say at the end of this stretch, they're four games under 500, they go into January, right? Like, and the schedule does get a little bit easier in terms of your opponents. You know, you start off January with Orlando, but then if you just kind of go opponent by opponent, there's no reason to believe that they're going to rattle off a bunch of wins in a row. So the Spurs, they've already lost to the Spurs. They might win. They might lose <laughs> the Knicks twice. Generally you split those games, the Pacers twice, Generally, you split those type of games. Philly, they've beaten them. Good. Chicago, Chicago's like not an easy team to, to, to beat, especially for the Celtics. The Pelicans are going to be their third game in four nights. You know, Charlotte is like, if they get fully healthy, they're pretty good. They have Portland again. Okay, you should win that one. The Wizards, I mean, God forbid they win a game against the Wizards and make me Won't look for one time. <laughs> like, obviously, they're going to get pieced by the Wizards. That's going to be the one game Bradley Beal actually shows up. <laughs> well yeah he's trying out um the, uh you know they got the hawks later in the month they got the heat later in the month i mean it's not yes the schedule gets a little bit easier but like why would we believe that that's actually going to benefit this team <laughs> remember last year we looked at the schedule and we said it gets easier they got okc they got the hawks they got, <laughs> how did that go how did that go right this well team- uh Gretham, should we talk about the danilo gallinari game because <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a gino, we love, gino time loves to talk about the danilo gallinari game but like this team is very similar to last year shout out b rob exact same record yeah at this yeah. point 13 and 13 like there's a lot of similarities and we looked at that easy schedule come the new year last year and they did not take advantage of it they lost oh. games they should have won and Everything we've seen through the first 26 shows us that this team is going to lose more games that they should have won and maybe win games that they shouldn't. But there's going to be those games that they drop where you're like, "Eh, that one's going to come back to bite you. At what point do we start talking about Jabari Smith? Right now. (laughs) I'm so down. Right now. I know they're not going to get to that point probably, except like if you do look at this, at the rest of this schedule, I mean, if this team is like eight, nine games below 500 by like, like that's not completely out of the question. It's also not out of the question that they get it together, that they go 500 the rest of the way through this month. And then they have a good January. Like I'm not writing that off either, but like where we sit right now in the middle of a West coast road trip, it doesn't look pretty. <laughs> the similarities that this team is having right now and, and are going through and that we're talking about, it's also reflecting just perfect similarities to where Geno time was at at this time last year. Because at some point around the new year, you and I were like, let's tank. Like, uh, they should tank. And I still think they should have. And they didn't. And I'm probably going to be singing the same tune come February of this year. I could even be sold on i don't know let's talk jade Ivy. let's talk pat baldwin jr like i'm 
Hey. I, I would rather talk about the draft like we started this episode yeah. than talk about this team. I mean, like, you know how when people try to describe how time travel would actually work, they talk about like, you know, folding a piece of paper and stabbing a right. pencil through it. Yeah. Um, I do feel like if you folded the last four Celtics years together and stabbed a pencil through it, every single, like you're hitting the same thing the whole way through. There's just, it's just the same moment. Mm-hmm. Time is the flattest of like the Celtics are a flat circle. Is is, what, like, oh yeah. Big time. And, and this year to this point compared to last year, it's crazy. It's the similarities. It is crazy. And it comes back to, you have the same core. And so that there hasn't been a lot of changes with that same core in terms of their approach, I guess. Yeah. I'd say. And it's very clear because it's very similar. At some point you have to start feeling like, okay, well, everything in popular culture is just a rerun of like preview. I mean, you know, the biggest, the biggest movie, I mean, the biggest movie of December is going to be matrix, right. It's going to be like, <laughs> it's like, you want to talk about a glitch in the matrix. It's another matrix movie coming out. And also the Celtics being 500 on December 10. So I, I was trying to turn over a new leaf, man. I was trying to be really positive about this team because I thought they deserved a shot because I do think, I guess this is my other theory that we didn't get to. I do think that like the way we talk about these teams matters because they hear all of it. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. if you're like, whether or not, I mean, I'm, like these guys are much more mentally tough than I will ever be. But like, if you're Jason Tatum and you're hearing certain things, that's getting through to you on some conscious level, right? You're, you know, like, okay, like, you know, our team is in clutch or, okay, I'm a superstar, whatever it is, like that's getting through to you on a certain level. So like, I did feel like this team was owed the opportunity to be something different. It's just that the evidence so far does not give my personal, you know, theory that they deserve that any, any real credence. I, I, and I think your theory, like your approach to the season, giving them the benefit of the doubt almost and giving them that. Yeah. Shot oh yeah. Literally that totally fair, completely fair. And realistically the depth chart at the surface did improve on paper. Like there were reasons to believe that this team would improve, but the approach from the core still the same. Like, Every all the issues like the inconsistencies, the ups and downs, generally the same. And I think my reason for not having that approach coming in was because by the end of last year, I was so like stuck in that mindset of like this is who this team is. I like couldn't make my way out of it. And I'm glad that they like forced me to stay in it because and and yeah, it's just really weird. It's really weird. The Rockets are good now, the Celtics stink. You know what's crazy is the fact that, like, the Celtics can't put together a win streak like the Rockets are. Like, I'm watching the Rockets win these games, and I'm like – Which, stop, guys. Stop. You have to stop winning games. What are you doing? Garrison Matthews, (laughs) stop. Christian Wood, stop. Get him out of there. (laughs) Just stop it. What are you doing? But the Celtics couldn't string together a seven-game win streak in this current state. No, absolutely. No, they, they could not. They yeah. are not a team to do that right now, which is crazy to say the Rockets could do something in Celtics camp, but they have proved it. Here we are. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. As always, uh, we appreciate everybody for riding along the Geno Time roller coaster. We are. Also, real quick, like I know we ride, like everyone rides the roller coaster, and we do that, and we're guilty of that on Geno Time, but it's not like this is just us saying, well, they suck when Jalen Brown's not there and Jalen Brown comes back. They're great because they're still not that good when Jalen Brown is there. They still have issues. So I want to make that note. Like we know that they're better when Jalen Brown is there on both sides of the ball, but like 
this team is still, I think, a 500 team when Jalen Brown is there. Yep, they, they are six and seven with Jalen Brown. Not working. All right. <laughs> As always, appreciate you guys for listening. We will, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, send them straight to Nicole Yang, and we will talk to you all again later this week.